Lord, I, I pray and ask again that your Holy Spirit would be moving powerfully during this time. To help people see the truth about needing forgiveness is something that the Holy Spirit does. And so I'm just praying that you would be moving powerfully this morning through your words and through your scripture and through the sharing. I pray that you would help us to see the truth so that we can also see your amazing provision in Christ and just be more fully rooted in our position as uh, sons and daughters of, of God. And that, that takes a movement of your spirit, and so I pray that you would move powerfully this morning according to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. You guys doing well? Yeah? <clears throat> I, uh, this morning I'm talking about I am forgiven. And we're, we're moving through the first part of our Multiply series, which is about identity. And today we're talking about our firm identity in being forgiven by God. Now, before we talk about being forgiven, we have to talk about what goes before that, which is that we have things in our lives that we need to be forgiven for. And, and so I, I thought this morning that I might share a little bit of a confession before you guys that might tarnish my image of being a holy and perfect pastor. But I think I'm willing to do that. Um, you guys, we all have things in our lives that we're kind of embarrassed about, right? And, you know, like if people knew or saw that thing about us, we, we would be pretty embarrassed. And I, I wanted to share something that's not too embarrassing, but embarrassing enough. Um, recently, Raina came back home. She was hanging out with her mentor. She has a mentor. Did you know that? And she, she, she came back home, and she was really excited. Now, uh, I've been her husband of 10 years, and you would say, okay, what's the, what would you say, you know, just as... A Christian, what would you say is the best way that I can love my wife, right? And you're thinking, okay, Ephesians chapter 5, husband loves your wives as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for up, making her holy, right? And so the greatest way I can love my wife is by helping her to be holy, right? You guys are with me, right? You guys remember that chapter. Anyway, she came home from spending time with her mentor and she was excited. You know what she was excited about? Her and her mentor and the other mentee of the mentor were going to do this go to bed early, wake up, spend time with God campaign. And so she says to me, Andrew, I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier. And an hour earlier would be like, like 10 o'clock. I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier. I'm going to wake up 20 minutes earlier. Like, I don't know what happened to the 40 minutes, right? But... <laughs> I'm going to wake up 20 minutes earlier and just spend time with God every day. Okay? Now, you have to understand that as a holy husband, I've actually seen, you know, certain weaknesses spiritually in my wife that have to do with life stage. We got young kids. It's really, really busy. And people are like, you know, you got to give grace to your, to your spouse that now is just one of those times where you have low margin. And so I was doing that, but, but, but I've been praying that she would, you know, start meeting with God like this. And so this was really an answer to prayer. And what I did in response is I started to pick apart her strategy. I'm like, I'm thinking, you know something? Gosh, you start these projects, you get really excited, and then they kind of fizzle out. Why don't you start smaller? How about like 30 minutes? And instead, Someone's hissing me. Um, and instead of waking 20 minutes earlier, why don't you wake up like 10 minutes earlier and then you can build to 20, okay? Now, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You know, does anyone here love to journal? Yeah, right. I don't like to journal either. You know why? Because one of the reasons why I journal, I, I start to really discover what's in my heart. And I start to really not like what I discover. And so it's just like a painful process. And so it's just easier not to journal. But, but it, upon reflection, like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And Raina wasn't really pleased that I was doing it. I, I did that because, number one, I was grumpy. I was just grumpy. I just felt argumentative, right? That's number one. Number two, the reason why I did that is because the idea started with her mentor. And I normally like the ideas that I start. 
That's the truth. That's the truth. If, if I started the idea and Randall said, oh, that's a great idea, then I would be like, hey, let's do it. But someone else came in and I'm like, well, okay, I guess we could follow, maybe not. Honestly, number three, the third reason, which is really the big reason why, is because if she went to bed one hour earlier, she would have kicked me off the bed because the lights need to go out. And that's time where we're talking and I'm reading. I didn't want to be inconvenienced and be kicked out of the bed. That was the reason I was trying to talk her out of it. Now, oh, man, this, this is very embarrassing, isn't it? It's very embarrassing because my number one call as a husband is to build her up in holiness. And yet, when I look between the layers of what's really in my heart, there's selfishness. I, I'm prizing my time of lights on and reading books and time to myself and not wanting to be kicked out of the bed over my wife growing in holiness. What, what's happening to me? It's, it's what's inside. It's what's inside. I'm realizing how deep my sin goes. Now, now today, I am talking about forgiveness, that all of us have a unique identity. I am completely forgiven. But the first idea that we need, we need to go here, it's absolutely necessary because the scripture goes here, is this. We have no idea how sinful we really are. We have no idea how sinful we really are. Now, there's a second idea that, that's, that's also at work, equally true, which is we have no idea how perfect we are in Christ. We have no idea how perfect we are in Christ. But, but let, me just, let me just unpack the first idea, because there are plenty of people here in this room, and we start to talk about sin, and we start to talk about Jesus as Savior, and honestly, it's not doing it for you. There's, there's not a deep stirring inside. I, you, you're kind of thinking like, what's, I'm really thinking about like for lunch after church. You know? It, there's, no, there's no desperation. There's no stirring. It's like uh, Jesus is a savior. Yeah, I know. I kind of heard that. I kind of accepted that that's good. And what you, what you really need to hear is we have no idea how sinful we really are. If we did, it would lead towards desperation. Like, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, once I start talking about the need for forgiveness and sin, there are other people here in, in the very same room, and once I start talking about sin, you, you totally relate to that. There's this ongoing struggle that you have with sin. You identify yourself as a sinner. Maybe you're thinking like, oh man, I did something this past week, and I'm, I'm so ashamed of it. And if, if, if people knew, I would be so embarrassed. Now, what you, what you really need to hear is that you have no idea how perfect you are in Christ. That when, when God looks at you because of his son and the work of his son, he just sees perfection. Now, the first idea, we have no idea how sinful we really are. That is practical. But the last idea, we have no idea how perfect we are. That's positional. Okay, now let's unpack these and let's go to the scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Okay, let me just also say this. Uh, we're going to go through Romans. It's a secret dream of mine that actually one day we'll go through the entire book of Romans. Like, you know, uh, chapter by chapter. But I, I don't think we're ready for that. But today will be a little bit of a preview as to whether we can do this in the future. But I'm just going to give you a little warning beforehand. This stuff is pretty, uh, it's pretty edgy and it's pretty thick. So especially when we go through uh, verses 21 and through 26, you're going to have to focus as, as much as you can because it's easy to get lost, okay? And let me also say this. Uh, during this message today, we're going to have a couple different testimonies. Just like Lauren was sharing, uh, Raina, for the very first time today, I finally convinced her to come up here and to share something. And interestingly, it's going to be about her own experience of sin, you know? Um, and then Ahn, who is our, our youth director, pastor candidate, is also going to be coming up here and sharing. And he's become a, a, a friend of mine, and so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be really rich. Okay, let's start in chapter 3, and let's go straight to verse 10. Okay? None is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. Okay, right there, right at the start, right at the start there's brokenness in relationship with God. Okay, no, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay, so no one doing good, that's the sin of omission. There's good that we were supposed to do, we didn't do. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Our words, our words. So he's talking about what comes out of our mouth. Their, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps is under their lips. Their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. It's the things that we do. Not just the sin of omission, but the sin of commission. The things that we're doing. Shedding blood. Or even metaphorically, we're shedding blood. We're hurting one another. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Now, it started off by talking about the brokenness of our relationship with God. And it ends with the same. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, this is pretty heavy stuff. Now, I, I want to just let you know, it brought me no joy this morning when I'm like, hey, I'm going to get up here. I'm really excited to tell people how sinful they are. You know, there's no joy here, but this needs to be said. Why? Because it's truth. It's truth. It's, it's, it's accuracy. Now, in seminary, I learned this, um, it's kind of a, a seminary word, total depravity. You don't use that in ordinary conversation, but it's a concept that you need to know. Total depravity. That means the corruption that's in our hearts, it's not just one part, but it's systemic. It's all over the place. It's, it's, um, it's stage four cancer. It's spread all over the body. Okay, now, now just look at this. Just look how systemic this is, okay? So it's not just the things we don't do, right? Uh, not, no one does good. Not just the things we don't do, omission, but the things that we do, commission. We're, we're, we're swift to shed blood. We're hurting each other. We're hurting each other. Uh, but it's not just what we do, but it's what we say, right? Uh, their tongues to deceive, uh, the venom of asps. But it's not just what we say, but it's inside in the heart. And it's not just our relationships with, with, with others that's broken, but fundamentally, it's a relationship with God that's broken. And because a relationship with God is broken, all these, there's all this, this rampant brokenness. Now, do you understand that? I mean, when we talk about Jesus as Savior, you're like, we're saving from what? Saving from sin. Is there that sense of desperation? Can you relate to the truth of what Paul is describing here? I mean, other people. Uh, what, about, what about inside you? Now, I, I wanted to bring my, my wife up here because recently she was sharing just a realization that she was having of how true this description is of the human condition that's inside her. And so, um, so I said, Raina, could you, would you be vulnerable and just share this before the church, you know? And... Um, Luckily, she said, yes, she would. So can, can we give a hand to my, to my wife, just for her courage in being up here? The truth of my sin is something that I've been growing to realize more and more. And in my daily life, I have some awareness of this, but um, there's been several times in my life that God has brought a really strong conviction to me, and he's opened my eyes for me to see my um, complete corruption that's inside of me. One such time happened this summer, and I don't even remember what happened that led up to this, that led up to me being so angry with my kids. But I do remember the frustration, my anger, the rage, and I was so upset that I yelled at them, I made them cry, and I'm ashamed to say that I even spanked the younger two in anger. And after that, I felt terrible. You see, I used to be a social worker, and I would counsel um, numerous families about child abuse. And at that, that same moment, I saw the same vulnerability and potential in my own heart, and it scared me. In my journal the next day, I, I wrote, I'm very humbled by my own inadequacies and my sinfulness. And although I love my kids so much, I struggle to really love them. Instead, I yell at them and I make them cry. 
Lord have mercy. As a parent, I know that my um, I know that my love for my kids is the closest that I will have to unconditional love. And, and I look at my heart and I realize how completely limited my love is, how utterly flawed, and I can't even love my own children. How on earth can I love anyone else? As I reflect, I have friends who have felt mistreated by their parents and they continue to suffer the consequences of this. Do I love my kids more than they do? Probably not. The simple truth is, as big as my heart is for my own kids, there's corruption in my heart, uncontrollable anger that severely inhibits my ability to truly love them with a real agape and conditional love. Some may be tempted to say, oh, it's just a little, I'm just a little limited in my love. What's the problem? But the scripture shows me that it's much more than that. I've fallen short of the glory of God. At the same time that this is happening, I was studying Ephesians with the church and my home group. And the words from Ephesians 2 came alive and reached straight into my heart and convicted me. Without Christ, I was dead. I was dead in my sins. I was an object of wrath. But because of his love and mercy, he has made me alive. I've been saved by grace and not from, of myself. Wow, what an amazing gift we have. This incredible, perfect love and grace from God to someone who doesn't deserve it at all. This knowledge and conviction has humbled my heart and has captured my heart to love him even more. Rana was uh, was hesitating to be vulnerable in front of you, just like, oh, well, how will people think of me? But I do think there's a common realization that we have. I mean, that's what makes us Christians. It's a realization that we all have brokenness. I'm going to say, I'm going to stay here a little bit longer before we, 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 by the grace of God, go to point number two, okay? But a little bit longer, because before we can go up, we need to know how far we're actually down. How deep does the sin go? Stay with me a little bit longer on this point. How deep does that sin go? Now, this is something that might actually be new to you, but in, in the reading of these first three chapters, I realized something that I hadn't really seen before. I think normally when we think of sin, we go, okay, here's God's perfect standard, you know? Because God measures us by himself, not by, not by, the, by the measure that we use, but by himself, his perfect, holy standard. And so all have sinned and fallen short of that standard. So. God is like this neutral judge, and he's judged me, and I'm guilty. Okay, that is true, but there's actually more to that, how deep the sin goes. You know sometimes when we're hurt and someone goes, hey, hey, don't, 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 don't take it personal. God has actually taken our offense personal. Uh, that's the new thought. That it's not just, oh, you've fallen short, I'm sorry. But it's more like, I'm deeply offended by what you have done. Like when we sin, the most offended party is God himself. Now, now let, me, let me describe what happened. God created us so we can have a love relationship with him and that in our hearts we would worship him alone. But we, we basically rejected him. I don't want you in there. I want myself to sit on that throne and these lesser pleasures to rule my heart and really, it's not about you or being absorbed by you. It's being self-absorbed. And then from that place of self-absorption, all the relationships just started becoming dysfunctional and breaking down. Now, yes, you've crossed that line. You've broken that standard. But do you also realize you've broken his heart? It is deeply personal. When we talk about the wrath of God, it's a deeply personal thing. It's like you've set yourself as an enemy against me. You've committed crimes against not just goodness but against me uh, do you get that now if you read the first three chapters of romans that's where it's, it's going and it brings me no joy to say that but that's the truth of scripture okay i think the worst part is over 
But you, but you still need to hear that first point. We have no idea just how really sinful we are. And I would say that when I first became a Christian, I had very little concept of sin. And there's three things that have showed me the truth. Number one, I've just reflected on, on myself and what's really in my heart. Number two, I've understood the holiness of God. He doesn't judge me by my standard, but by his standard. And number three, I've just read the Bible. And the Bible and his spirit brings that conviction. Okay. All right, let's go on to point number two. Okay, now I want to say that point number two starts off with a but now. Can I get, hear you guys say but now? Okay, do you know that Martin Lloyd-Jones, reading this text, said, those are the two most marvelous words of Scripture, the but and the now. You know, you got this, you got this sin and this condemnation and this judgment, and rightly so, and a God who is offended, offended, okay? Enemies with God. Okay, but now, but now, here's the good news. Get ready for this good news. Now, I just, I, let me just give you the punch of this good news. I just want you to imagine that you're in a courtroom and your life is, is on trial. And God is looking at every single detail of your life. Not just the big mega themes, but every detail, every day, what you were thinking, who you were thinking about, the self-absorption, the, the words that were coming out of your mouth and why they were coming out, everything, everything laid bare before God. And now, now just imagine him looking at that and then he says, okay, here's the verdict, here's the verdict, okay? Heaven and earth is all silent, listening to the verdict that's being declared over you. And God says, I declare you righteous, absolutely perfect. I find no fault with your life whatsoever. You're like, what? Really? No, that is what you have in Christ. Your, your first identity is not sinner, but it's one who's forgiven by Jesus. Okay, stay with me, okay. There's going to be three words that I, I want you to understand. This, okay, uh, Martin Luther uh, said that this paragraph right here is the center of Romans. And he said this paragraph right here is the center of the whole Bible. Now, when someone says that, I automatically feel like, okay, I'm not qualified to interpret this. But I'm going to try to simplify this as much as possible. If you link together three words and you put them together, there's a richness of thought about forgiveness that's here. The first word is justified. Can you guys repeat that word after me? Justified. Okay, it's going to get a little bit more complicated. The second word is redemption. Can you guys say redemption? The third word is propitiation. Can you guys repeat that one? Okay, now if we link all these together, there's a richness of theological thought on what God did for us, okay? Now let's go. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, what that means right there is there is a righteousness for you apart from the law means that you don't have to earn it, okay? I'm, 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 I'm trying to interpret this. Now, the law, he's referring to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? And people kind of misunderstood that. I have to fulfill all the law, and then one day I'll stand before God, and God says, okay, you, you did good enough. You're, you're righteous. And then, look, what Paul says is that there's a righteousness that's revealed that's apart from that. Because the truth is, there's nothing you can do to actually earn that righteousness. You can't be good enough. There's no possible way you can follow every bit of the law. You break one, you break it all. Okay, so there's a righteousness that's apart from the law. It's new. It's the New Testament, New Covenant with Jesus. It's new. Okay, get ready for this. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, so the Old Testament did have a role. What are they doing? They're bearing witness. So they're pointing to Jesus. They're saying, look, okay, I know the law is insufficient to make you righteous. I'm pointing to the thing that's actually going to make you, or the person that's going to make you righteous. They're, they're pointing. They're, they're bearing witness to it. 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, so this is a righteousness that's in faith, through faith, in Jesus Christ. Not in the laws, 
But in Jesus, through faith, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. There's no distinction. Jews don't have an edge on this. Gentiles, non-Jews don't have an edge on this. There's no race that's closer because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're all in this together, leveling the playing field. We're all equally in trouble. We're all equally have fallen short and are justified. Okay, let me give you a definition of justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. Like God looks at you and says, perfect, beautiful. I, blameless, okay, justified, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, redemption. Let me walk through redemption. Redemption means to buy back from slavery. If you're taking notes, that might be a good thing to write down. Redemption means to buy back from slavery. Now, this is the idea. Let's say in ancient times, you want to start a new business, but you don't have the capital, so you borrow money. You borrow money, the economy goes south, your business is failing. You're like, I want to declare bankruptcy, but there's a problem. They had no chapter 11 or 13 in that day. You, you can't declare bankruptcy, you owe money. So you really had a couple different options, but certainly one prominent option is you gotta sell your whole family into slavery. I know, that's rough, but you're really out of choices. Come up with the money, or you sell your whole family into slavery. Now, now imagine you, you just sold your whole family into slavery to try to buy back the debt, to pay off the debt. All I got is you know, my able body and my family. So I'm selling my family into slavery. Now let's say you have a rich cousin who lives 20 miles away. He hears about what's happening to your family. It's terrible. He, he's, he's a decent guy. He, he makes a one day's journey to walk to where you are, to, to talk to your owner, gives him money, and basically what he does is he redeems you. He buys back your freedom. That is redemption. That's the idea of redemption. To be redeemed, to be bought back from slavery. Now, Jesus Christ redeemed us. How? In his blood. In his blood. Verse 25. By his blood, he buys us back. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Okay, let me explain this one. Propitiation is an action that turns the wrath of God away and gains favor. To propitiate is to give a gift or to make some sort of action that will turn away the wrath of God and gain favor. That's propitiation. Now, it was done through the sacrifice of God's Son, through, through Jesus dying on the cross to put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now let me put these three concepts together to try to summarize this paragraph, okay? That, that Martin Luther said is at the center of the Bible. Let's put it all together. Jesus, by his blood, by his sacrifice, did three things, okay? We'll jump to number two. Number two is he has bought you out of slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to sin. Slavery to death. Slavery towards a trajectory that's leading towards death. He bought you back out of that. He saved you. You're free, okay? That's, 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 that's number two. Number three is by his blood, by his sacrifice, he turned away the wrath of God and has gained favor for us in God's sight. Okay, that's propitiation. And then the, the first thing he did is now because of what Jesus did by his blood, when God looks at you, he goes, perfect, blameless, absolutely beautiful. When God looks at you, okay, I just want to make that very clear. By the blood of Jesus, you all are forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've committed that sin, you are forgiven. Take that in. How good does that feel? Can you remember the first time you really, really understood that? Like, really? All the things I've done? Just completely, like God looks at me and says, perfect, 
yes. Just take that in. Um, I, I, on, would you, would you, would you come up here? Um, again, on is uh, becoming a, a friend of mine. Um, he shared his testimony at a youth troop retreat recently, and he had so many good things to say about just this issue of forgiveness and knowing the forgiveness of God. And so I said, "On, would you come and share?" And he said, "Absolutely." You know. And so, can we give a, a hand to On? He's going to. Good morning. Um, I heard from someone uh, and told me this was a, a little while ago and said that if God ever gives you an opportunity to share, um, you know, and if you don't, you might be taking away an opportunity that you're actually blessing someone. So, Raina, thank you so much for, for blessing me as a, as a father and, 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 and a husband to my wife. I, I definitely felt uh, things you were saying. Um, my name is Antron. Uh, like most of you and all of you here, uh, we've all sinned. Um, my testimony today is, is the point of just talking about what Pastor Hunter is saying is, is how good it feels to be forgiven um, what it means to be uh, righteous just to, to from, from the Lord to just really save you um, there's a famous quote from someone I thought that was really amazing and, and really cool back when I was in high school and they said that I don't care for sin uh, it doesn't affect me and this was me back in high school via 1999 okay? this is what I thought um, you know, sin, I, I, for the longest time, I thought that sin was, um, was nothing. Um, I, I grew up with sin in my life. I, I seen sin. I caused sin myself. And to me, sin is like this. Sin is like being in your pajamas, eating a tub of ice cream, watching TV, a movie or a show on your couch. And there could be a fire in your kitchen or a hurricane outside, and you're just so comfortable, you just don't want to get up, Right? Like, that's what sin was to me when I was growing up. See, when sin sucks you in, it, it, it makes you believe that um, it's much easier to stay in sin than to actually get out of sin. Um, you know, I thought sin didn't affect me, but it did majorly. Um, you know, I witnessed my parents uh, be verbal and physical uh, abusive to each other. I remember growing up when I was uh, in first grade seeing my dad uh, literally push my mom down five stairs. Um, I witnessed arguments to my parents being very physical, rather it's throwing things at each other, or I call my dad the whatever. Whatever's near him, he'll just throw multiple glasses, cups, and I just remembered me and my two brothers and sisters just always witnessing that, you know, a tremendous amount of time. Um, I remember my parents growing up, um, they had a really bad addiction to gambling. I remembered my mom comforting me as we lost our home. Uh, he didn't pay for the mortgage for six, seven months. I remembered going to different friends, begging for money. I just remembered um, these things of the sin that my dad caused up in my family just to be gone. I remembered my senior year, uh, both my parents being in prison. You know, I, I clearly remember because it was the day before my birthday that they went in, and here I am, my senior. I'm supposed to be graduating. I'm supposed to go to prom. I'm supposed to, you know, be living it up. But that wasn't the case. Um, I remember my parents losing me to a girl named Dana. It's a girl that I dated in high school, my senior year, that I thought she was my everything. That I gave my time, my money, just my attention. And you could say that just because there was so much going on at home that I just not only just didn't focus on Jesus, but I focused on a girl. And I remembered I was so deep into sin that I remembered um, her calling me one time and, and saying that, you know, Ron, I, I might be pregnant. I, I remember that. How, this, is, this is how far I was in sin. And I just remember telling myself, you know what? If I'm, if I'm this, this much into sin and I don't believe that it affects me, then I shouldn't really believe in forgiveness. But I think through God's definitely divine in his spirit um, that I began to really, for the first time in my senior year of summer, to really understand what forgiveness really meant. And I remember going to uh, a youth retreat. And uh, see, when I was growing up, I grew up a Catholic. My mom was Catholic. My dad was Buddhist. So it would be kind of funky coming home. You know, I would see the Buddha statue in the home with the incense and the fruits, and then next to it would be the Virgin Mary. I was just kind of confused a little bit. But I went with it. We went to temple every now and then, went to mass. And I just, 
I remember I would have a wooden picture of Jesus on my wall, and it's that kind of iconic Jesus, like Jesus staring into the clouds, you know. And I remember I would pray to him. I would pray to Jesus in, in, in English, and I would pray in Vietnamese because I didn't know if he actually wanted both or preference, but <laughs> that's what I ended up doing. And I just remembered that summer, I began to realize that forgiveness of my sins and the fruit of my forgiveness is the gospel and redemption. And um, Derek, this guy named Derek, um, Derek Chan, and um, we had a, a kind of altar call during the, the service, and he kind of just grabbed me. And when he grabbed me, he just grabbed me, and he just started um, really working his, his spiritual gift of just tongues on me and just praying in tongues. I had no idea what was going on. I said, this is not Chinese. This is not English. I don't know what this is. He just held me. And when he held me and prayed for me, I felt like this 5,000-pound gorilla just kind of came off my back. I felt that this, all the sin that I was carrying was finally um, being lifted away from me. You know, as, as he was praying for me and holding me, all my tears, boogers, not just kind of just flowing. And at the same time, when that was kind of flowing and, and, and he was speaking to me, um, I just felt the pain, the sorrow, the hurt, the confusion, um, the weakness, the judgment, the shameness, just all being taken away. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess the moment that happened, I... I said to myself, like, I guess I can't eat ice cream anymore and PJs anymore. Like, the sin is being taken away. And uh, as I pretty much kind of nailed, I cling on to Derek and, like, really nailed, probably he has nail marks till today, okay? I think something I was realized is that as he was praying for me, I was happy to know that I'm no longer ashamed for my past, of who I am, of what, what I saw in my parents, what they did, what I did for myself to cause these sins. And then for the first time in my life, that, that night, I no longer felt sin pulling me in all directions. You know, I wanted God to pull me into the right directions for me to make these choices. But I felt for once I understood what I meant to be um, living this life that was being saved. And so the, what is some of the fruits of forgiveness I, I realized is that as long as you believe in Christ and that what he's done for you on the cross, what Pastor Andrew said, for the blood and his death on the cross, that no one can ever earn forgiveness. It's simply just given to you. The gospel is the result of sin, but not the downfall of God not loving and desiring for us, but that we live and know that we're forgiven so that our shame can be taken away. You know, today, um, I'm proud to say, and I'm so encouraged to say that I love my parents. I've forgiven them. Um, I've been married for the last six years to an amazing woman of God. I have a, 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 a beautiful, loud, crazy three-year-old daughter. And... It's, it's amazing to see the changes that he's shown and done in my life and then now kind of like revamped it to be where it's at today. And, you know, and the main point is always, you know, how's it good to be, you know, how, how good does it feel to, to actually be forgiven and to know that you're righteous? You know, like me, like my family, and honestly, I look around here, like all of us, you know, God has continued being um, that that person that we come to to get forgiven to. And today, even though I, I no longer ashamed of my past, I know that I still need to die to my sins every day. And I'm standing here as a testament to, not just for you, but for the Lord to say that, you know what, that I'm no longer ashamed of who I am. And I think for most of us here, sometimes when we sin, we're so ashamed. And to hear mentors, to hear pastors, to hear our leaders or other members here, to know that we could come to them or be with them um, to get the shame to be removed. And so uh, I encourage you, you know, forgiveness is just, it's, it's an amazing feeling. I know how to describe it. Um, Pastor Andrew. You know, we, we didn't actually just want to talk about forgiveness. We, we wanted to invite you guys to um, practice it. Or just to practice the truth of God's forgiveness over you. Uh, not too long ago, I think it was about two weeks ago. No, it was last week. Uh, it was last week. Um, 
we were preaching from John 13, and Jesus says something that's a little bit cryptic. He's like, for people who have taken a bath, you don't need to take another bath. You just need to get your feet washed, right? And so, okay, what does that mean? That's kind of mysterious. But, but I think it has a lot to do with forgiveness. There, there is a certain time where you say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And when we really enter into that, it's like God gives you a bath. All your sin in the past, in the present, and in the future is washed away. But there's also this need for continual, like, feet cleansing, you know, (laughs) to continually practice the presence of that forgiveness. And what we want to do for you this morning is to invite you to practice that truth. You're like, you know, I've already asked Jesus to forgive my sins. Yeah. And we're going to still identify with being a person who needs forgiveness and to still identify with someone whom God looks over and says, completely beautiful because of my son. Absolutely righteous. Perfection because of Jesus. Now, we didn't want this just to be a heart thing. We wanted to go through the scriptures so that you know in your head what really is objectively happening. So let me do a little quick review. Number one, we have no idea how sinful we really are. But number two, we have no idea how perfect we are in Christ. Now, there's three things that Jesus achieved on the cross by his great sacrifice for you, okay? Number two is redemption. He's bought you back from slavery. He's bought you back. That was really expensive. You cost a lot. You cost the blood of Jesus. But apparently God thought it was worth it for that exchange. And then number three, propitiation. By his blood, Jesus turned away the wrath of God. He's no longer angry and offended at you. All that wrath was turned away. And now when he looks at you, he just looks at you with the favor of his son. Get that. And then number one, you're justified. God looks at you and says, perfect, perfect. I don't see no stain. I don't see no blemish. I don't even see that sin because you're all covered in my son. That is what was happened through the blood. And so we're going to invite you in a few moments to actually practice that truth. Now, again, in the same courage that Raina took and An took in coming up here and saying, okay, listen, my life is not perfect. I have some baggage. I have some sin. There is some corruption in my heart. We're actually going to give the same opportunity for you to identify that. And you just simply identify that by kneeling down on these um, cushions. And when you kneel down on these cushions, you're taking the place of a person who needs forgiveness. You're saying, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we're going to have a prayer minister come up to you and just pray for you and just pray a prayer of blessing and pray a prayer of forgiveness over you. It won't be very long. It'll be pretty short. And that's where you will practice the truth. I'm completely cleansed. I'm completely forgiven. It feels great to be, to be cleansed. Like a 5,000-pound gorilla coming off your back. Okay, let's prepare our hearts. Uh, we're going to ask uh, the team to come up here and to, to lead us in a song of preparation. Why don't I pray for us? Dear Lord, I, I just see as I look in the faces of my brothers and sisters, you're already doing, you're already speaking to people. We need your forgiveness. But the thing is, we have your forgiveness. So I pray that, that right now that, that we've talked about the scriptures, we've talked about the reality, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just make that forgiveness real to us. I know there's people who have never felt that forgiveness, and oh, how good that feels. And there's other people who are struggling with ongoing sins. It's like, you know, it's the seventh time or the 17th time I've done this same thing all year. Will God really forgive me? And the answer is yes. It's not based on the purity of your repentance. It's based on the purity of Jesus Christ and his work. So, Lord, we just stand in the place of truth. And the forgiveness that you offer is not just a concept. It's not just a, a, a warm idea. It's true. And because it's true, it's real. And because it's real, it's powerful. You're here. And your power to forgive has already been given. And I pray that you would bless your people as we practice that truth.
This invitation to receive communion is open to everyone. This invitation to kneel and to receive forgiveness is open to everyone. I just want to say three things for maybe three different groups of people. I imagine that there's some people here and you feel like God is angry at you. And you're, you're interpreting some of the things that's happening in your life as evidence that he's angry at you and he's punishing you. And I just want, as your pastor, as someone that loves you, that thinking needs to be corrected. That, that's not truth. That thinking negates what Jesus did on the cross. It's not punishment and anger because Jesus propitiated that wrath. It's taken away because of what Jesus did. Now, it could be discipline out of love, but never punishment out of anger. So some of you just need to be corrected in that thinking. I think there's others of you, and you've never actually asked for forgiveness from God. This whole concept of God being angry at you and finding fault with you is kind of new, or you kind of knew about it, and you've never really said, God, please forgive me. And this table and, and these cushions are just for you. There's a great invitation here. 
And I would say one last group of people. I think there are people who are struggling with ongoing repetitive sins. Like, I keep on doing this, and I keep on asking for forgiveness. And you're wondering, will God still forgive me? And I just want to assure you, forgiveness is not based on your purity of thought or repentance. Forgiveness is based on the purity of Jesus and his work. Yes, he does forgive you. So you're invited to come here and to kneel and to just practice the truth of God forgiving you and just celebrating what it means and how it feels to be perfect in God's eyes because of Jesus. On the night before Jesus was arrested, he had an intimate dinner with his followers and he took bread and he broke it. And he took wine and he passed it around and they drank it. And they, these things were to be living symbols and he wanted us to continue to practice the Lord's Supper. This bread, he said, represents my body broken for you. My blood that justified you. My body broken on your behalf. And then he took wine and he poured it out, saying, this is my blood that is going to be spilt for you. Now we're going to form two lines, and you will take the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, dip it in the juice that represents his blood for you, and then you partake of it. And when you partake of it, you're basically saying, I understand what Jesus did for me, and I'm receiving it. And you're invited to continue to receive that, to continue to receive that. And then after you've done that, you're invited to come here to, the, to kneel on these cushions just to identify yourself as someone that has fallen short of the glory of God. And then you're also going to remember what his blood did for you in declaring you perfect. And then there's going to be a, a prayer minister who would just say a short prayer of blessing over you. You're just going to receive that. And if you guys can't kneel down, then these first pews are open for you. And we can also pray for you while you're sitting down. I'll pray for us, and then this table and this time is open, and, in, and everyone is invited to come. Lord, I pray that you would just now do your fantastic ministry as we remember and practice the truth of your forgiveness. And there's, there's other people, there's people here who have never received that. And I just imagine you saying, come, come. My sacrifice was for you. I exchanged my own blood and sacrifice for you. You're that valuable to me. And I pray that, Lord, as you're willing, that people would come and receive it for the very first time. Or maybe for the 2,000th time. They're getting their feet washed. They're remembering how good it is just to stand in this place of remembering and practicing the truth of forgiveness. God looking at me and saying, completely perfect. I find you completely perfect because of my son. Thank you for these realities. Thank you for this truth that sets us free. It's like a 5,000-pound gorilla off our back. May this time be powerful, sacred, May you come with your powerful Holy Spirit and minister to our people.